well, the VHMA has opened so many doors for me. Uh, the Emerging Leader Program shined a light on me and gave me so many opportunities, including being on this podcast. You wouldn't have known who I was, I'm sure, if I didn't win that award. People now know my name in the veterinary community because of it. I've been asked to review new courses. I've been asked to write articles and blogs for several organizations and join committees and, and more. <laughs> Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome back, positive leadership listeners. Today, we have an amazing guest with us, Missy Filarecki, who is the practice manager at Just Cats Veterinary Clinic in New York. She is a CVPM and a CCFP. Thanks, Missy, for coming on the show. Welcome, Missy. Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. Missy, without having to read your bio, can you tell me about yourself? Yeah, I am the practice manager of Just Cats Veterinary Clinic. Um, I've been employed there for about seven years. We have two locations in upstate New York, one in Gilderland and one in beautiful Saratoga Springs. If you're a horse racing fan, you should know that city well. I grew up in Buffalo, so I am a very big Buffalo Bills fan. I achieved my CVPM in January of 2022. Um, I became a certified compassion fatigue professional, the CACFP, a few months later. I am married. I have three rescue cats. One is about to turn 23 years old. I've got a bunch of college degrees. I'm a nature lover, a gardener, and a musician. Fantastic. Fantastic. I love the fact that you include your fur kids in there. That's fantastic. I love my fur kids. Of course. We got a chance to see your little 23 year old baby looking good and spry. She is very spry. Every day is a blessing with her. Can you tell me about your favorite book, podcast, maybe continued education class, something you were at a conference, anything that's left a lasting impression on you? 
Yeah, it's a CE class that has made the biggest impression on me in the veterinary field. My first time at the VHMA annual conference, I took a Debbie Hills class, which was called The Art of Hurting Cats. And before I took this class, I felt like I was alone in a lot of the challenges that I felt at work. I was new to the field. I didn't really know a whole lot about what was going on, and I felt really alone. And this was the first time that I felt like my challenges were not unique in this industry. So I really knew that I had found a community that could empathize uh, with me and provide support to me and me provide support to them. So that class was a really, really impactful class to me. And once I took that class, I knew that it, I was meant to be in the veterinary field. Yeah, ditto right back at you. A little shout out and kudos out to Debbie Hill. That class is amazing. She is amazing. I love her. Mm-hmm. And I love the VHMA when managers get into a into a conference and they're in a session and all of a sudden they have that aha moment where they're like, Oh, these people speak my crazy. Like these are my people right here. Like this is it for me. Like this is veterinary <laughs> medicine. Like I finally found it. Right. And they have that kind of aha moment. And I, I love that. Cause I do feel like at the VHMA conferences, we all kind of have that moment where yeah. we realize that like, yeah, these are my people. This is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, is that so was true. my moment for sure. Oh, that's awesome. We know also a little bit about you, Missy, and thank you so much for introducing yourself. Just to kind of read off some of these awesome degrees that you have, which are super not vet med related. So you have an (laughs) associate's degree in paralegal studies, an associate's degree in theater, and a bachelor's degree in creative writing. And here you are as a certified veterinary practice manager and a certified compassion fatigue practitioner and the manager of a feline veterinary practice. How the heck did you get into vet med and what got you interested in that? You know, it wasn't on purpose. (laughs) Honestly, I did not ever imagine myself working in the vet field. Uh, With all of those degrees, I do have one in musical theater as well. With all of those degrees, that certainly wasn't my original career path. What my original career path was, is I wanted to be an English teacher and a theater arts teacher, teach music, New York changed regulations when I was just about done with my undergrad, and I couldn't follow that path unless I got a master's degree as well. So I had hurdles in my life where getting a master's degree just wasn't possible. So I went back getting the legal studies degree, thinking, hey, three degrees wasn't enough. Why not add a fourth to uh, fourth to my debt? So I got the legal studies degree, thinking that I could get like a clerical edit- editor-, editor job or something somewhere. But I just couldn't find anything that paid enough for me to pay my bills. So I ended up getting a job at a dental office as a receptionist, and I got promoted to administrative manager there pretty quickly. And I was bartending on the side to pay some of my bills. So I worked with a person at the bar who was practice manager at Just Cats, which is the job I hold now. So you can see how that ended up. So the manager that was there, they kept trying to get me to work for them. I wasn't really happy at the dental office. I knew that wasn't really my career path. That was just a job. But it was a significant pay cut for me to go to vet med because the opening was in reception. So I I heed and hawed for a while and I I kept telling him no, no, no. And then finally, you know, one day I, I thought about it and I've always loved animals. I grew up around animals. I even did my own hamster breeding business when I was a teen, oddly enough, which is a, a kind of weird tidbit. <laughs> oh my um, gosh, right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I especially loved cats. So cats made sense. So I decided to, despite the pay cut, that working at just cats was the right decision. And it was definitely the best decision I have ever made. 
my bar coworker ended up resigning shortly after I was hired and told me that they wanted me to go there because I know they knew that I would be the perfect fit to run the office. So I was promoted to practice manager within the first year that I worked at Just Cats and I never regretted a moment of my career change. Yeah, I think it's great how VetMed found you. I do feel like there's a lot of our guests that will come on the show and say like, I always wanted to be in veterinary medicine. And yeah, veterinary veterinarians will often say that but managers, I not quite so much, right? We kind of are more ones that stumble into the field, but you really stumbled into the field. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I really did. And I'm glad I did. I, I never pictured myself here, but it is, right. like I said, it's the best yeah. decision. I, I love the veterinary field. Yeah, for sure. And I remember in going to undergrad and thinking to myself, I don't want to be a veterinarian because of the debt and everything else that goes with it. And I was a single mom and the time and everything else. But management wasn't a thing back in the day. Mm-mm. We didn't have veterinary hospital managers at a profession. And I look back now and think, wow, look how far we've come in such a short time because that's something that people can aspire to be now, right? We can now say, that somebody wants to manage a veterinary clinic and it's real, it's real, it's a real job, right? Not this pretend job that we kind of made up back in the day. Right. But I love it. I'm I'm super excited. This profession is better because you're in it. So I'm oh. super glad that you bred hamsters and you are where you are today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you're a member of the VHMA, which is how I know you. We've met at conferences before. So you hold that CVPM credential, yes. You are very active on the Member Connect open forum. I see you posting there quite a bit. I'm one of the ones that lurks in the background and reads, but never posts. (laughs) You're on the ethics committee with the VHMA. And I would say really, really congrats and kudos to you as you are a past emerging leader for the VHMA. Congratulations on that accomplishment. That is, that is amazing. Amazing. Woo woo. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Golf clap for you. Yeah. Tell me how, what the VHMA the organization, the members, the everything. Tell me what VHMA has done for you in your career. Well, the VHMA has opened so many doors for me. Uh, The Emerging Leader Program shined a light on me and gave me so many opportunities, including being on this podcast. You wouldn't have known who I was, I'm sure, if I didn't win that award. People now know my name in the veterinary community because of it. I've been asked to review new courses. I've been asked to write articles and blogs for several organizations and join committees and, and more not to mention the educational content that the VHMA offers. They make it so available and it's so valuable and it makes strong, compassionate leaders in the veterinary field. So I feel like I contribute a lot of my success to the VHMA and the courses and the people that I've met through the VHMA. We were both recently reviewing a PBU marketing course. Yes. And that's where you we were met. in on that. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I should totally invite her to the podcast. She's rad. I totally want to get into that, take a little bit more. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. You're right. All the different things that happen that we don't realize when we are a part of an association or when we do something, sit on a board or write an article or do these things, how many other doors open up for us. And the reason why I plug the VHMA here is because I think they are can do you know wonders for people's career. But I, I think more importantly is that yeah. networking that we talked about from the get-go, right? Where mm-hmm. we know Debbie Hill's class for you was kind of like your aha moment in vet med. And there are people out there, there's a network out there. And if we can tap into that network and we can work together to raise our profession and leave the profession better than where we found it, right? That's Mm -hmm. a lot of our common goal is just to raise the level of care, the level of work 
ethic, culture in our practices to make people better, right? To leave our teams better trained, better managed, all the things that, you know, we do as managers. So thank you for sharing that. I, I did want to take a few minutes there and just say like kudos to the, to what we can do together as managers. Yeah. Thanks for letting me plug them. I'm, I'm honored to, to help plug the VHMA. So as we were kind of, let's be honest, cyber stalking you a little bit. And I hate that <laughs> word because it's like, it's not a great word right in these day and age, but what we meant is like researching you online. We kind of came across some of your interests and you shared with us as well that you have an interest in essentially finding, like I shouldn't say private, but government funds to support your hospital and essentially fund certain pieces of equipment so that your hospital doesn't have to front the cash and you have it in your budget for other stuff. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. I, I have a feeling your paralegal background is going to come <laughs> out here, but would love for you to talk about that and, and go into that a little more. It would be great. Yeah. Well, I haven't really been successful with it so far, but the paralegal background certainly does help because I understand how to compose and write letters to the right people and where to get started with it, which I've I've started doing now. And like I said, I haven't gotten any responses so far, but I'm going to keep pushing until I get some sort of response, at least from some government agent. Even if they tell me no, I still want a response from them. So what my goal is, is veterinary equipment is expensive, right? Like everybody knows that the human hospitals, x-rays, their MRIs, their CT scans, whatever they get, a lot of that is funded by the government and allows these hospitals to get grants to purchase these equipment pieces. It's not a secret that human doctors are paid a lot more than veterinarians. Their staff are paid a lot more, and they're given a lot more leeway with what they're able to do. Government funding for veterinary fields for me means getting grants for those x-rays, those treadmills that you need for, you know, the underwater ones for the dogs. Um, It means getting that piece of equipment to take your practice to the next level without putting yourself in debt. So the $50,000 that you're going to spend on that x-ray unit, instead of spending that and financing it over five years, which, you know, let's be honest, they come up with a new piece of equipment as soon as you buy the next one. So is it really ever paying for itself or are we just moving on to the next thing? So getting government funding for these pieces of equipment would open up our budget so that we are able to pay our people more. And not only that, but we'd also be able to maybe lower our prices so that it would make it more affordable for our clients so they wouldn't have to seek out other means. Of course, I'm always passionate about subsidizing for our clients and doing things like that. But I think that it starts with funding the veterinary hospitals themselves. Because if we can get those government grants, if we can get those funds for the equipment and we can take care of more animals, we can pair people better. It's just a better field altogether because of it. That is such a creative way to think about this. Like, I mean, nobody, I mean, of course, all of the big companies don't want you to go for grants, right? They want you to finance it and all that. But why wouldn't, I mean, as you said, Missy, there's free money out there and there's definitely free money out there for small businesses. It's not my area of expertise, but you know, I know that there's the small business association that the government has. And so it's really cool that, you know, you've essentially laid a path for, you know, and and we obviously do good work, right? Yes, we're for profit businesses, but we do good work. And so if you could get, as you said, like 50,000 is such a small number when you're talking about grants, but you're right, it would pay for an X-Men machine, it would pay for an ultrasound, like Mm -hmm. there's different equipments that you could essentially, you know, pay for with that grant. 
And then, as you said, not see, even if it's a regular payment like financing, you wouldn't see that cash leaving the door. It just allows you to recoup that in your budget. So that's so cool. I mean, that's like blew my mind a little bit, to be honest, when I heard yeah, it. I was like, that's, sure. that's so Thank cool. You. So I have written a couple of letters to state senators and other government officials to get more programs because while there are a few out there, they're more available for rescues and shelters than actual clinics. So it is something that, like I said, I haven't really been successful with yet, but finding those grants and if I can find them somewhere, then I'd be able to share it with more people and get the knowledge out there to help veterinary clinics try to get these grants for their equipment. I have a a colleague, friend of mine, acquaintance that I know that actually writes grants, like writes the applications for grants. Wow. Like that's what she does as part of her job is to research these grants and not animal based grants, but for her line of work. Mm -hmm. And then like how to write these proposals in order to get these grants and and bid Mm -hmm. certain ways and do certain things to get grants. And now I like want to call her and be like, hey. Yeah, yeah. set her up with <laughs> me. Yeah, let's talk. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like, <laughs> if this is seriously, like this is a thing and we can get government funding for things like, yeah, helping animals. Like, are you kidding me? What? Where, where do we sign up for that? How do we throw yeah, our name cool. in the hat for that? Right. Yeah. But it also is like, she gets paid to do it on a mass level. And I think like that takes time, right? Because somebody has to know how to do them, where to find them. That's all research, like full-time employee. There goes your grant money, right? Like you're mm-hmm. just paying then somebody to, <laughs> to do that. But what a cool concept. Yeah. I, I hope someday that I'm able to say that I, I achieved at least a little something on it and right. certainly keep pushing until, until we get something for our field. Yeah. Missy, you are a CVPM and you are also a CCFP like myself, a certified compassion fatigue professional. And I will tell you, this is something that I think any CCFP has a personal story type of attached to it for some reason that led us down that path. I would like to hear you your story of what led you down your path to become certified. It was a long path. (laughs) So I've attended many uh, veterinary seminars on different topics. And the one that really stuck out the most was the compassion fatigue supporting mental health of the teams. And I wanted to be better equipped for understanding the needs of my team and to be able to recognize when somebody was suffering from compassion fatigue. We had a lot of, obviously during COVID, everybody had a lot of mental health issues within their hospital, um, in their yeah, for sure. Staff, mm-hmm. and you know, they're knocking at your door and hoping that you have an answer for them. And while I don't have the answer, still at least I have the tools to know and recognize where to get them the proper tools. So I don't try to be a counselor for the team. That's not why I went and do it, but it did help me learn how to be a better listener, how to be better supportive, and direct my team to the appropriate sources that will help them. So it's not a big story other than. COVID hit us hard and I did not want to leave my team behind. Yeah. I feel like I identified some of those feelings where we see our teams that got kicked in the teeth, Mm -hmm. right? During COVID, like we were already down and out the whole country, you know, the whole world. And then, you know, client service people really took a hit, but veterinary professionals, man, they really, really took it hard. And what do you do? We're not counselors. What tools do we have to share with our teams, right? We can see them hurting right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, we're not really equipped Mm -hmm. to really know how to help them. And here we 
like buy soggy pizza and hope for the best. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah how right. Do, <laughs> you know, right. how do we handle this when we're just right. that ill-equipped? And so exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. a laughing matter, but you know, no. there's a point where what do you do? You know, right. how I don't yeah. even know how to help them. Right. So yeah, yeah, I definitely felt yeah. that same thing, Missy, where it's like my teams are just hurting mm-hmm. and I don't know even what to do. Thankfully mm-hmm. I had got my CCFP prior to COVID. I got mine in 2000, I think 18 or 19. So for me, it was much easier going into COVID than because I felt like I had those tools and was able to say, okay, stop, take a break. Like, this is what we need to do. We got to put these, you know, systems in place and here's some tools to see what works and what doesn't work. But it's a, for managers, the master of all, or the, you know, what is that? How's that go? Like you're a master of, uh, what is it? Yeah, Something you do all money, but, master of nothing. Jack of all trades, but <laughs> master of, of trades, none. Master of nothing. That's it. Yeah. Yes. And so here we have to, you know, try to support our teams, but we don't necessarily know how. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our team. No, is it's really so true. Lucky. I mean, yeah. I, with compassion fatigue, so we know, or you know, I, I don't mean we, the listeners, but like you, the three of us know, and the listeners, you know, we can talk about how compassion fatigue is kind of it talks a lot about kind of the the hurt related to caring for individuals or animals in a in a medical sense right it's the the pain of being the nurturer dealing with life and dealing with health and death and and then there's also burnout which is you know kind of a component but also its own piece right workload and and overwhelm and stress and ability to manage you know a caseload essentially and then we also had just you know the covid restrictions so you had healthcare along with, you know, masks and can't touch people and be away from them and, and all of the things. And so, you know, it led to this, this, as yeah, we've all talked about this, you know, this just bubbling over. So as a hospital manager, you could totally go and get a, a master's in psychology or a master's in social work and then start having therapy sessions with your employees. <laughs> but that's not really feasible for most of us and probably not advisable as a manager because sometimes we have to be the boss too, right? Yeah. So one of the tools that I have used well before COVID, but like a lot of people I think signed up for was the EAP or the Employee Assistance Program. Mm-hmm. Um, these come through, it, there's, there are a lot of different ranges and costs of them. Many of them are extremely reasonable in cost for what they offer. So I know, Missy, that this is obviously it's a passion of yours, not just compassion fatigue, but stressed teams in general. And so we wanted to just kind of bring this up, like, what is an EAP? Why should a practice have one? And what are the benefits? And and how, you know, what are the costs? And just talk to us, you know, all things EAP, because I think it's definitely something that we don't see a lot on benefits lists, but they are very reasonable. And it's so easy to implement. And the cool thing is many of them are really confidential for the employees too. So it's such a Mm win-win to put one in place. Yeah. Employee assistant programs or EAPs, they offer confidential counseling to employees at no cost to them as part of a benefits package. And like you said, there's there's a couple different ones out there. And we as a hospital were BMG members as well. Our owner of the practice actually was the one who introduced me to the EAP. I didn't know what it was. And we have a, a really wonderful practice owner at Just Cats Veterinary Clinic who, who gets involved with things. So that's one of the, the reasons too, I was able to have so much freedom in getting these programs afterwards. So the EAP was something that she introduced to us probably about three years ago. I believe it was even before COVID that we started this. So the EAP program that we use, it costs around $300 a year. We've got 35 employees. So a lot of these EAP programs go based on how many employees that you have. But mental health concerns throughout the veterinary field, they're growing. And in the past, employers did little to support those who are suffering. And we want to keep people on our field, right? That's one thing that has, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've been suffering the past couple of years. People aren't going to school like they used to. They're not going to tech programs. They're not going to get their doctorate anymore. 
and it's suffering. So keeping people that we have in the field means keeping their mental health a priority. The programs boost employee morale, just knowing that they have somewhere to go if they need to speak confidentially to somebody who can help. And it shows the team that the leaders care about their mental health just as much as their physical health. So like like I said, physical health is just as important as mental health. And mental health may be even more important than physical health because a lot of your physical health problems stem from some sort of mental illness. So it's yeah, it's very, very important that we as employers support our team. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one of the things we as managers can help do to remove the stigma about mental health, the negative stigma of mental health is is having it an EAP program in place and talking about it on a regular basis, sharing success stories, utilizing it, knowing that there's no shame in it, all the things that you know, there's no shame in workers' comp. There's no shame in any of the other physical disabilities or, or problems. Or I don't, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but we don't shame people for their injuries when they, you know, lift a dog wrong or a cat bite or something like that. Why would we shame them for wanting to go see a counselor because of, you know, some mental health issues and utilizing the EAP? But I, I would like to ask, about and David, maybe you have some more insight on this, but my understanding of EAPs, at least the ones that I've been able to have in the past, is you know the EAP is the Employee Assistance Program, so it's not necessarily just mental health benefits. There are some also some great other benefits that are in there. Um, do either of you have any other feedback as to some of the other features that are included in it, EAP? Yeah, the EAP program that we have offers uh, therapy sessions for family members as well. So not only do our employees get access to this program, their husbands, their children do as well. So that's one way to extend it. That's pretty much the only other one that I know of. David, did you know any? Yeah, I mean, I think what I've come across, and I think EAPs will often tout this, so they can set you up with counseling, right, and sessions, but they're just the number that you call itself, they kind of tout themselves as like life support. So some of the things that I've seen, like, you know, elder care resources, or child care resources, or transportation, like they're really kind of vague. But what I think they do is essentially, and this is what I tell my employees is, you know, and I've told them sometimes even when they're not like they haven't admitted or said to me that they have any mental health concerns, like they're just stressed or upset, I say call the EAP because not only is there somebody there who's probably trained in being very empathetic and just a nice person to talk to, but there may be all kinds of things that we don't know that are going on in their lives. Like, for example, maybe the stress is they live with their grandmother and their grandmother is elderly and has a hard time getting the doctor, right? I feel like the EAP, they're probably not going to have a lot of financial, like paying for therapy sessions, but they might be able to give some coaching or guidance or possibly a resource, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I see them too, is just like, I don't know all the phone numbers to call or the people to talk to to help you, like to create that team around you to run your life effectively, but they will help with that. That's the only other thing that I've seen, Missy, is they just say, call the number and they have all these benefits. But the therapy, I think one is really where they put money, like where the cost comes through, because you're paying some you know, monthly fee to them for your employees, and they then fund uh, therapy sessions with therapists. And I've heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that one practice manager had mentioned that her EAP program had some type of, I want to say like financial aid in the sense of they could talk to a personal finance person 
And for the life of me, I can't figure out, remember what they're called. Yeah. A financial advisor. Mm, like a financial planner. Go. Yeah. Financial yeah. advisor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. you could have access to a financial planner or, That's a or some type too. of, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So if they're having a, financial crisis, if you will, and that's causing the mental mm-hmm. stress right. is right. they may not obviously pay for a financial planner, but it'd be like, here, here's someone that you could talk to, or here's some research. I think it just all goes back yep. to like, David, yep. what you're saying is we don't know why they're stressed out or having, yeah. you know, concerns in their life mm-hmm. outside of work. And so they have resources then that are, they can point the direction to here. This yeah. is who you may call. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a great yeah, point. I mean, I, know, I think, yeah, that's a great point. It's I used an, it with an employee at one point in time who's was having some domestic violence in place cool. and didn't quite know how to handle that. Uh, and so they had provided yeah. her with some resources on how to handle the domestic violence. Oh, that's really mm. nice. And so I feel like there's all kinds of different things that we don't necessarily realize that an EAP can offer. But it goes back to like, David, what you said is like, I don't know what's going on with my employee, but just call. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be able to help you way more than I can. And like you said, Missy, we're not, we're not counselors. Mm-hmm. Even though oftentimes I feel like we right, are. Right. 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 We're not trying to we're do that. Exactly. Right. Yeah, we don't be a have line these skills. Sure. We don't have this at all. Yeah. No, I, I just know no, where to direct true. you. Yeah. And our, our mm-hmm. EAP program does not offer financial advisement, but I do advise all practices to do that. We do offer a financial advisor through our practice as well. And it's been very helpful for our staff to understand. Our staff is yeah. younger and a lot of of them haven't had to learn about what a IRA is and we definitely have right, a financial planner right exactly yeah yeah I've yeah I mean too. you know We've those systems that. like the mm-hmm. 401ks or IRAs or if you have a broker that works with like whether or not you're working with a big 401k or you have a, a broker they offer a lot like so it's one thing for them to talk to you about how much money you can set aside to put in the IRA and what it is but they also sometimes go bigger and they'll talk to you about budgeting and debt and all these things. And you yes, know, so many of yes. our staff members, quote unquote, live paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And listen, I totally understand living expenses. And so if you are, you know, not making a ton of money and, you know, you are truly like not hopefully not negative every month, but you're like breaking even every month, then I, I listen, we got to get you a better job so you can have a little savings. But I do think to be frank, that some of our team members are bad with managing money. And so they are buying, you know, $1,000 iPhones and having, you know, 900 or $1,000 car payments when they could be looking at something else. And these people are trained to do that, right? They're trained to have you look at a budget and how you could reduce some of your debt and get your credit cards paid down. And then you can put some savings away. And so like those absolutely can create stress. I mean, how many of us have said like, hey, you know, we need to slim the hours next month because it has just become completely crickets and people lose it because unfortunately they literally live by every hour and we're trying to manage the hospital, right? Or, you know, we've got somebody who did quit and we're like not going to rehire somebody because we're trying to watch finances. And so then everybody else is super stressed and they're like, you know, so there's just all of the things that go into just kind of doing the schedule management, right? And saying, Mm -hmm. hey, like I want to close down this swing shift or I think we don't need that half tech on Fridays and them saying it literally is going to cripple me. And I totally understand. I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but these guys are really good at saying like, okay, let's look at what you make and let's look at, you know, your budget and let's have a buffer. Let's have a three month cash in the bank, like all those things that would just probably make slight adjustments or God forbid, if they get broke a leg or we do have to offboard them or whatever the situation is, it won't be so incredibly triggering to them because they have a financial coach too. Right. And that's, that's beautiful. Beautifully said. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Great. Missy, do you have any other tools in your manager's toolbox that you would share with us? Things that maybe you do on a regular basis at your practice or that you've heard other colleagues do that support mental health wellness in the teams 
uh, things that maybe we can, we, uh, you know, David and I like to say these actionable items, right? We're, we're listening today. What can we go do in our practice tomorrow to help make our practices more aware or beneficial to the team in regards to mental health wellness? Yes. Actually, on top of our EAP program, we do have a compassion fatigue counselor on retainer as well that we always keep her sessions re-upped. So anytime she, we buy a block of six sessions at a time, anytime she'll call me when we get down to four sessions and say, hey, miss, we got four. When we get down to two sessions, she calls me and she says that we have two sessions left and we re-up. So we buy another block of six. So Quick Google search can find a compassion fatigue counselor that fits your area. Uh, may I plug Julie Squires? She's wonderful. She's rekindled solutions and she's fantastic. And she's the one that we use at our practice. And we also tell our staff this at a lot of staff meetings that we have these programs available for. They're emailed on a regular basis. They're in our general share file, accessible to all our employees to find that information quickly. So those are a couple things that we can do. And we also make sure that our team knows that our doors are always open for them if they want to come in and just talk to us at any point. It's a judgment-free zone. Like I said, we're not going to be their counselor, but we can sit there and listen to them if they need to talk about anything. So one of the things that you can start doing tomorrow is, is make sure that your doors are open. You're not shutting yourself out to your team and do that quick. Google search, find a compassion fatigue counselor, buy a block of time, and make sure that you're specialized in both areas. Because those EAP programs, well, they're great for counseling in general. Compassion fatigue is a different course. So sometimes... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So getting a specialist in compassion fatigue is sometimes a lot more beneficial to your staff than just having a general EAP counselor program. I think the big key point, what you said there, is to share it with the team, right? You can buy hours, you can have a program, but unless you're really sharing things with the teams and having open conversations with your team, they either don't know the resources is there or how to resource it anonymously, right? Without mm -hmm. other people knowing, or are they going to be embarrassed about, you know, calling? I just think it's something that when we talk to our teams about it and make it not so awkward, right? It's just a part of our everyday conversation and checking in with them and making sure that, hey, regardless of where you at, we have this program, use it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's here. And I love the fact that you're running out of hours and having to buy more because that's exactly then what your team is doing. Right. It's, They're yeah, using it's great. It. It, well, it's not yeah. great to have compassion fatigue, but it's great that they know where to go. Yeah. When they, they feel the support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So as we wrap up the episode, I'd love to hear a piece of advice that you would give our listeners. What would it be and why? Yes. Ask for help. Please ask for help. A lot of our mental health issues stem from bottling up feelings, trying to take on the world alone, and we all know we can't do it ourselves. We are a community in the veterinary field, and we are all willing to help one another. I don't know a single other person that I've met in this veterinary field that does not want to help their their brother, their sister. We're all afraid of asking for help because we're afraid to put out other people. So my advice, put on your own oxygen mask, suck it up, and ask for help when you need it. Yeah. Take yeah, the help when it's offered sure. and return the help when you're in a place to do so. I agree. I have a group of colleagues that I'm, they're all CBPMs and we're all super close friends. And this, a couple of days ago, we had shared something and, you know, I feel after you saying that, that it's something I want to share here. It's about elephants. 
In the wild, female elephants are known as fierce protectors, and when one of their sisters is suffering, they circle up around her. They close in tight, watch guard, and even kick dust around her to mask her vulnerable scent from predators, and yet we are the same. This is who we are, and who we are meant to be for each other. Sometimes we're the one in the middle, sometimes we're the one kicking up dust with fierce, fierce love, but the circle always remains. I just love that. And I'm glad that you said, like, it doesn't make a difference where you are or who you are. Like, just ask for help. And there's going to be a swarm of elephants around you, Mm -hmm. right? Like helping you. And sometimes you're in the middle and sometimes you're on the outside. And so it's okay to ask for help and just know, then pay it forward later on when, you know, it's your turn and your friend, you know, phones for calls, text messages, hollers, whatever it is, ask for help. So I love that, Missy. Thank you so much. Thank you. And don't forget too. You can call in sick with mental health too. And that's, that's another thing that I'd like to say too, is mental health is a very legitimate thing to call in sick for. So if you can't put on your oxygen mask, you can't make it to work, call in sick. Yeah. Because if we don't have our mask on, we can't help our team, right? Correct. So we're going to switch into my favorite part of the show, which is you can't make this shit up story. And I am sure with all of your lovely experience in a cat practice that you are going to have an amazing (laughs) story to share with us when you turned to yourself and said, no freaking way. Nobody can make this shit up. Change the names to protect the innocent and share your story with us. <laughs> yeah. So my my story actually happened very early in my veterinary career before I was even a manager. So it's definitely a story that stuck with me this long. So I was behind this the front desk doing the reception and we had a client who brought in their cat for a neuter. The client I checked in, he was making small talk with me. And after checking in his cat, he started, the conversation started to get a little bit weird. I uh, started talking to me about how cultures consider cats' testicles a delicacy. So I kind of did my uncomfortable laugh thinking, oh, wow. thinking, okay, you're just trying to be funny. He's trying to get a rise out of me. So I laughed politely. Um, so then he asked me what we do with the cat's testicles after the neuter. So basically said to him, it's medical waste. We treat it as such. So this man looked at me straight in the eye and asked me if he could get his cat's testicles back after the neuter so he could cook and eat them. Wow. Yeah. So I was still new in reception. I had no idea what to say to this man. So I just politely excused myself. I went to the back and I said to one of the technicians, told her what happened. And she just looked at me and had to go out front. Probably didn't believe you. No, she didn't. (laughs) She thought I was joking. So she went out and she explained to this man why we couldn't return his cat's testicles. And he was disappointed, but he understood. So yeah, that was really weird. Wow. All righty. Okay. You can't make it up. I'm telling you. Nope. Nope. Cannot. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. 
Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. A very bad joke at the wrong time. Tell me about your proudest moment. Achieving the Emerging Leader Scholarship. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? I love the passion of the people who are in the field and the kittens. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I do lots of deep breathing, yoga, and meditation. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I ignore non-urgent calls and texts after hours. And of course, I experience work guilt because of it. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in uh, your role or career or business? When I'm unable to protect my team from angry clients. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Saying good morning to our boarding cats and the clinic cats. What color best describes you and why? Yellow, because I'm always seeking new experiences and I bring enthusiasm to those experiences. And if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Bet you'd think I would say a cat here, but I'm going to trick you and say I would be a dolphin because I love the ocean and they look like they're always having fun. Awesome. Well, Missy, this wow, has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. These were this some of the best great. answers, by the way. <laughs> I know, right? Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank love you it. so much for coming. It's an honor to be here. I'm so happy you guys asked me to be on. Thank you so much. And thank you guys both for what you do for our field as well. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.